0: Hello everyone. Welcome to our Palm Sunday service and sermon It's Palm Sunday in the beginning of Easter week, but for many of us it doesn't feel like it. We've uh, spent time trying to figure out how to how to worship how to how to celebrate Easter when when all the traditions that we rely on for that celebration have been stripped away from us Gone are the The new Easter outfits. Gone are the Easter egg hunts. The children marching in with palm branches shouting Hosanna. Gone are all of those things. And what do we have left? We have the Word of God. And praise be to God that His Word is enough. And so today we are going to look to His Word in Luke chapter 19. We'll eventually make our way from verse 28 through 44 as we look to the account of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Over the course of this week, I'll send out a series of daily devotions making our way through Luke's account from Palm Sunday to Easter so that together we can come to the Word of God and see in the Word of God the proclamation of the Kingdom of God. And this... Proclamation is the gospel. It is the good news throughout. The good news of the true King. As we prepare to look to this Word, let me ask the Lord's blessing on the reading and preaching of His Word. Would you bow with me? Father, as we come to this text, I ask that You would plant it deep in our hearts. That You would speak to us. That You would teach us of Jesus our true King, and give us hearts that would submit to His peace. And do this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Friends, this is the inerrant and infallible Word of God. As I read verses 28 through 40. And when He had said these things, He went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And when He drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, "'Why are you untying the colt?' And they said, "'The Lord has need of it.' And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they sat Jesus on it. And as He rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As He was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of His disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works.'" that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. This is the Word of the Lord. So sitting in Atlanta traffic one day, Having my entrance onto Interstate 75 blocked, I found myself grumbling <laughs> at the worst than normal traffic, having no idea until later what was going on. You see, sitting there, thinking about my plans, thinking about my activities and why I couldn't get there, I totally missed the fact that the president was passing through the city. Have you ever been in a city where the president has come for a visit? Let me tell you a little bit about what goes on. If, if we were to have backed up a few hours from, from my being stuck in traffic that day, what would have happened would have been the, the president would have been arri- would have arrived in, in Air Force One. This, this majestic carriage coming in in the sky. As he would have gotten off of Air Force One, likely there would have been a band there. Uh, welcoming him to, to Atlanta that day as it would to most every other city that, that he would come to. And then he would have entered into his motorcade, a motorcade that would have rolled throughout the city. And, and as it did, there would be a rolling roadblock as the police would block off every entrance ramp and, and exit ramp from the from the interstate, making... Uh, A parade route throughout the city. The, the, The whole event, the whole day is surrounded by pomp and circumstance and every bit of that pomp and circumstance is meant to accentuate the power that comes along with the president's position. And the question is, how do we respond to such a ceremony? How do we respond to such a parade? Well, it's a factor of uh, a couple of things the first is do we even realize that the president is coming through when we sit there at the entrance ramp like i did that day and do we realize what's happening do we realize the president is in town but the second uh, factor in in how we respond is is what is your relationship to the president how, how do you view the president, is he, do you view him favorably? Is it, is it a distant relationship? Maybe for some of us it's an apathetic or even an adversarial relationship that determines how we respond to him. You know, the first factor that I mentioned is one of recognition. The second is one of response. Enough about the president. Today, we are looking to a text that speaks not of the president, but of the king of kings entering into a city. Several points from this text are noteworthy as we consider the king's entrance. First of all, it is all, every bit according to the plan. When the president enters into a city, uh, long beforehand, the Secret Service sends out an advance team. That advanced team develops a plan and then they work the plan when the president arrives to town. Jesus had long before determined the plan, but in the text He does send out His advanced team. He sends two disciples to go before Him. And, and in that, we see that all that is happening that day, all that will happen throughout the course of the week is done according to the definite plan of God. Nothing is accidental about this day. Nothing is accidental about the Easter week. The Lord has ordained it all. And in this entrance into the city, He has ordained the mode of transportation. He has ordained the location of that transportation. And He has even ordained the response of the owner. What is this mode of transportation and what is the meaning behind it? Because, make no mistake, it is meant to communicate a very intentional message. When the president enters into the city, he flies in on a painted 747 Air Force One. He, he comes out in a motorcade of bulletproof cars. Every bit of that is intentional, and every bit of it communicates a position of strength and power. Jesus came into His capital city that day on a colt. It was a message of humility, a message of salvation, and a message, don't miss this, of of the fulfillment of His promise. You see, this message was scripted long before. When Jesus rode in to Jerusalem that day on a colt, He was fulfilling the plan that was recorded, we see, in Zechariah chapter 9. In Zechariah 9 and 10 give us the meaning of Jesus' entrance. Read there, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your King is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will, cut off from, uh, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth." Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem was meant to project a clear imagery. And that imagery was clearly meant to elicit a response. It was a response that we see in the text. A response that was appropriate, if albeit confused. The crowds gathered that day as Jerusalem, as Jesus rode in to Jerusalem. They'd heard about this miracle worker. They had heard about the miracles He had done. Some of them, the other accounts tell us, were there because they had heard or even seen when Jesus had just resurrected Lazarus from the dead. And now, this miracle worker on this week of all weeks, the week when the nation of Israel would come together to celebrate the Passover, the reminder of their redemption from slavery in Egypt. An independence celebration, if you will. On, with that timing, this miracle worker is now coming in to the city and the chatter begins to pick up. The excitement grows. This must be the Messiah who is coming into His city. And so they cast their cloaks before the, the cult. It was a sign of submission before their king as he came in to his city. They were signaling his kingship. But it wasn't merely their presence, it wasn't merely their actions of throwing the cloaks before him, it was also their words. As Jesus came in, we... Heard their words in verse thirty-eight as they cried out, "Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest." Those weren't uh, merely words of of spontaneous celebration. As the crowd sang these words, they were singing Psalm one eighteen. Psalm one eighteen is a is a psalm of praise and thanksgiving. It is meant to signal a a festive procession as it enters into Jerusalem, particularly after some great deliverance. It was the psalm that the people would have known. They would have known its meaning. It was, in fact, the psalm that Jesus and the disciples would sing on Thursday night, the night of Passover, right after He had instituted the Lord's Supper. This was a messianic psalm, clearly. And the people sang of it, singing of great deliverance and anticipating deliverance. But what was the deliverance that they anticipated that day? Largely the people that gathered to sing as Jesus came into His city, they were anticipating a worldly salvation. They had images of a conquering military leader who would enter into the city, a city that was occupied by by Roman invaders. And and they, they anticipated or they hoped that He would be the Messiah who would remove those invaders, who would restore Israel and Jerusalem to its former Davidic glory, who would bring economic prosperity, who would restore the pride of the nation. That's what they anticipated. Regardless of the message that Jesus had proclaimed throughout His ministry and throughout the Word of God, it's what they thought. And so they worshipped. They were confused, yet they were compelled to worship this King of kings, yet even in in the festivities that were going on, even in the celebration that they would experience, there was in the crowd the face of rejection. The Pharisees were there. And the Pharisees, interestingly, rightly understood the requirement for worship. As the Pharisees would called Jesus the teacher to rebuke his disciples. What they were saying was that Jesus is not appropriate to worship a man. Sad reality was that the Pharisees were missing out on Jesus' true identity. That because he was, in fact, the God man, that worship was the only appropriate response. And so he told them that if the people that day had not worshipped, then even creation would cry out. As we talk about the Pharisees, as we talk about them holding a face of rejection, let me caution you as I often have to caution myself. You see, far too frequently we are quick to point out the speck in the Pharisees' eyes without recognizing the log in our own Rejection takes many forms. Yes, the Pharisees rejected Jesus' true identity that day, but I believe the crowds did as well. They missed Jesus' true identity and missed the peace that He was to bring. Yet even in their missing His identity, even in their various forms of rejection, the confused worship that took place was all part of, the plan of God, because in the triumphal entry, Jesus was deliberately evoking a demonstration of worship that would enrage the religious leaders and would expedite His arrest. Do you see that in the triumphal entry, Jesus was setting the timetable for the week? He was setting the timetable that would culminate in His glorious death on the cross. And even in the celebration, He knew it. As verses 41 through 44 would indicate. I continue on in the Word. And when He drew near and saw the city, He wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. These verses transition us from the entrance of the king to the lament. Of the king. Jesus has just heard the crowds celebrating. He has just heard their cries. But as he draws near to the city, as he sees the city, he weeps. Why? Why would Jesus weep in such a celebratory day? It seems odd, doesn't it? When we think of Palm Sunday, we we think of the celebration. We we think of the of the palm branches. We think of the parade, but but maybe oftentimes we also miss something in the meaning of this day. Jesus didn't miss it. He knew what was going on and He wept. His weeping was a weeping because He knew what was to come over the course of that week. But it was not a weeping in fear. It was a weeping of sadness. Sadness over those who missed His true identity. As Jesus wept, He he lamented the false peace that they had sought. You heard it in His words. Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. Why? Why didn't you, O Jerusalem, you Jerusalem and people of Jerusalem who have had the Word of God, why did you miss? peace that Jesus talked about was shalom. The Hebrew context for peace was not merely that it was an absence of conflict. The peace that He spoke of was the peace that comes with the very presence and favor of the Lord. It's a peace of of blessing. It is is a spiritual peace. That day the people shouted and they sang, but Jesus knew their hearts. The Word of God. The whole of Jesus' ministry pointed to the type of peace that he was to bring. A peace marked by salvation from sin. A peace marked by conversion to holiness. A peace marked by spiritual fruitfulness. But they missed it. And so he wept lamenting the false peace, and as we saw, lamenting the hardening that they were experiencing. This peace was now hidden from their eyes. And and I hope that you see how terrifying these words are. Jesus knew that for many of the people who were there that day, and many of the people who were there in the city of Jerusalem, that the window for responding to the peace had passed. And now the Lord was closing that window, bringing a hardening upon their hearts. The punishment that He describes in these words was set for many of the people that day. He spoke of the destruction that would come upon Jerusalem, a destruction that many of the people would experience in the year A.D. 70 when the Romans would would destroy the city, would destroy the temple, would bring ruin to the people, evoking the memory of a destruction long before when the Babylonians had done just the same. But that destruction that Jesus spoke of that day, a destruction that would come tangibly to Jerusalem in, in the year 70, was merely a pointer to the eternal destruction that is there for those who miss out on and are hardened against the true peace that Jesus brings. Many of the people that day missed out. And because they missed out, Jesus speaks of their missing the day of visitation. They saw him, they saw him, they, they, they sang as he entered the city but they missed His true identity. Jesus was the Prince of Peace. But many of those who cheered that day were looking for a different type of salvation. They were not looking for salvation from sin, nor were they looking for a relationship with the King. They were looking for their own idea of worldly peace and prosperity. And so Jesus lamented that these truths were now hidden from them. But for us, for you and me, they are here in the Word of God. They are here as we spend this week looking back on the true identity of the King of Kings. So the question before us, you and I, as we think about their missed visitation, their hardening is, is, how will we? Today? How will we, over the course of the coming week, respond to the King? I, I don't know if you have wondered about this question, but many have asked me, is the coronavirus, uh, is, it, is it an act of divine judgment sent by God on His people for the ways in which we have rejected Him? Maybe you were listening as I read the text and wondered the same. Verses 43 and 44 uh, very clearly say that the, the judgment that was to come upon Jerusalem was because they had, did not know the time of their visitation. And so are we to read into uh, what is going on in our world today the, the same judgment because we have missed the visitation? No, but if we look back, maybe I should say I don't think so, but if we look back on Luke 13, we see how Jesus would look back on on past uh, tragic events. The day the tower of Siloam fell and killed 18 people. He, He looked back on that and told the people, if you do not repent... You will likewise perish. Jesus seemed to, in His ministry, look back on past tragic events and use them as a reminder, as an encouragement, as an exhortation to call His people to repentance. And I believe it is appropriate for us to do the same. We can apply the same principle and make application that past tragedy and present affliction remind us of the need to turn to Jesus, the King of Kings. So listening to the text that has been read before us, let us recognize the true King. Sitting in Atlanta traffic that day years ago, I missed seeing the President pass before me because my focus was elsewhere. How often in Palm Sunday and... Easter week, have we missed the true meaning because we've had a divided focus on the traditions, on the meals, on the clothing, on the photo booth pictures? And how many will see them and and respond? How often in the past have we missed what has been going on before us because we have had a divided focus? Friends, this Easter week we have been given a blessing in disguise. We have been stripped away of all of the distractions and we have been left quite simply with the Word of God. So I want to ask you, to join me in making the Word of God a priority as we spend our time this week working through Luke's account of the Passion Week. Let us remove the distractions. Let us focus on what is before us. And as we do, I pray that we will see that Jesus was more than a good man. Jesus was more than a wise teacher or a more a moral example. Let us see and recognize that Jesus is the true King. Friends, there is only room for one person on the throne of your life. So, who's sitting on it? Is it Jesus, or is it you? As we recognize the true King this Palm Sunday, this Easter week, I also want to encourage us all to to not only recognize, but to respond to His peace, the peace that He has come to bring. You know, back in uh, Atlanta uh, that day, I was tempted to, uh, or we are all tempted to, uh, to respond to our leaders through our own lens to measure their effectiveness by virtue of our relationship uh, to them. So what sort of peace have you been uh, searching for? And how does that peace impact uh, the way that you have viewed Jesus? Have you been looking for a political leader who will restore American pride and dignity in the world? You've been looking for a peace through financial prosperity and ease. You've been looking for a peace by trying to defy age, either with a focus on on your health or maybe on your appearance. Can I tell you the kind of peace that Jesus came to bring? Jesus came to save sinners who, by virtue of their sin, were separated from God the Father. For some of us, that sin looks like the younger brother in the story of the prodigal son. The younger brother ran from the father, headlong away from him in search of self and self-pleasure. So he indulged in all manner of sin with no desire for the father. Yet for some of us, our sin looks more like the older brother in the story of the prodigal son. The older brother remained dutifully. The older brother ceremoniously obeyed, but the older brother never once desired relationship with the father. He sought only the status that came by virtue of his remaining. King Jesus... He came to save younger brothers and King Jesus came to save older brothers, both of which have lived at war with the Father, whether that war be a hot war or a cold war. And so the Prince of Peace has come to bring peace, first and foremost, by changing our hearts and changing our desires, to give us a desire for God. This is the way in which the Prince of Peace conquers his enemies. And then, He makes those desires a reality. He makes that desire for reconciliation with the Father a reality by coming and obeying on our behalf, by taking the punishment due to us for our sin on the cross. And in so doing, In obeying when we couldn't obey, in dying the death that we deserve to die, He has reconciled us to God the Father and given us the ability to live in joy-filled intimacy with Him. Friends, that is the peace that the Prince of Peace has come to bring. It's our response. Our response to this Prince of Peace is a response of faith and through faith in Him. That faith, by the way, means a trusting belief marked by relationship. Relationship with Him. This, this is our response to His peace. As Jesus brings this peace, He brings it through relationship, and He nurtures it in relationship. So friends, I ask you this Palm Sunday, is this the peace that you've been looking for? Could it be the peace that you've always longed for without recognizing it? Have you ever noticed that the greatest stories often follow similar plot lines? Whether it be a fairy tale book or a movie that we watch the main character oftentimes will wonder about missing what they have been looking for though what they have been looking for has been right there in front of their eyes all the time sometimes it's the search for for love sometimes it's the search for place but oftentimes in these stories that we love the main character has missed what is before them in search of greater allure, greater glamour, and that false search holds them back from experiencing true joy and happiness. Maybe it's a popular storyline because it's our storyline. Many of us have crafted a version of peace around worldly accomplishment and accumulation. And in so doing, we've crafted a vision of Jesus to fit that false peace, if that is you, would you be open today and this week to revisiting that vision and considering that possibly you've been looking for peace in places that were never meant to offer it, consider today and this week that the Prince of Peace all along has been offering true peace through relationship with Him. Friends, on Palm Sunday, the king entered his city, orchestrating the whole procession. But that day, his subjects missed their visitation, looking for a different sort of peace from a different sort of Savior but let it not be so of us. Recognize Him for who He is. And this week as we follow along in God's Word, watch with me as we see His mission unfold before us on the pages of Scripture toward a glorious conclusion. And Let us respond to His peace. All praise, glory, and honor be to Jesus Christ, our King of kings. Father, we, we ask that this Word would come true in our hearts this day as we're stripped away of, of all the trappings of tradition. Would You plant it deep in us and give us a new and fresh longing for the Prince of Peace. Do this, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Friends, I'll see you soon as we celebrate the death and resurrection of our Savior.